what a, what a perfect song for our day today as we celebrate um, the, the risen Savior who is ours. We've been on a journey together uh, through the scriptures over the course of Lent, and we find ourselves at the last I Am statement of Jesus in John chapter 15. So you have a Bible nearby and you want to uh, grab it. Um, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Um, as, you, <clears throat> as you turn there, we have you know, started off uh, earlier in the book of John. There are seven times when Jesus um, makes a statement about his identity. And he uses the same, the same language that God used when um, identifying himself with Moses uh, in the book of Exodus. And so it's the same, the same literal wording that's being used. And so all throughout the book of John, in a very unique way, Jesus is connecting himself to the God of Israel. And all the things that we have talked about, all seven of these statements, they all somehow tie back with uh, things that, that, G- that God had done in the past with, uh, with the Israelites and through the Old Testament. Things that, that would have naturally come to mind as he referenced them. doesn't mean that the disciples always understood exactly what he was saying. But they, they would have, it would have sparked certain ideas and certain memories and certain stories and certain passages of Scripture. And today is really, is really no different. Um, in John 15, Jesus and the disciples uh, are on their, on their last uh, night together. It's, this would be Thursday night of Holy Week, so this last Thursday. As a part of the Passover meal and the, the time in the upper room, uh, this would have been a part of their evening together as Jesus is teaching through here. Look at what he says in John 15, starting verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're going to stop there. Uh, there's so much. There's so much in those five verses that I'm going to really just focus in on on the actual I am statement that that he makes. Um, and so, something that we have to kind of um, adopt for in order in order to really be able to understand what's being said here is that uh, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a, of a vine or a vineyard was really commonly used, and so. Um, just to start back even prior to some of that, if, if you start in the very beginning of Genesis and you read the, you read the first 11 chapters, uh, it's, it goes from this like really, like, I mean, literal perfection that's a very God-oriented world in the first two chapters. And in chapter 3, um, with the rebellion by humanity, it becomes a very man-centered, a very self-centered uh, self-oriented reality. And from chapter 3 
through chapter eleven, it's just a it's just a train wreck. It really is. You have you have Cain and Abel and and that whole issue. You have the flood. You have uh, the Tower of Babel. It's just it's just bad. And so in chapter twelve, God unveils this plan to take to basically like restore everything back to that God oriented chapter one, chapter two. And it's a plan. It's a long term plan. And it all centers around a guy named Abraham. Let me let me just read these these verses to you. This is what he tells Abraham in Genesis twelve, starting in verse one. He says, "The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and uh, him who dishonors you, I will curse." And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a lot in there, of course. But the the general idea is is that God is going to take this guy, Abraham, and he's going to, through him... He's going to build a nation. He's going to, to make a people that will be his people. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. He says, you will be my people. I will be your God. And so he's going to take Abraham and through his lineage make them into, in, into, a, into a nation. And this nation, through this nation, would all the people of the earth will be blessed. The, like Literally the entire world will be better because of these people and their relationship to God. And so it's this, it's this kind of uh, starting with God to the nation of Israel and then through everywhere else. And so one of the things that we see in the, in the scriptures is that uh, God uses the idea of a vineyard to talk about Israel. And even, I mean, I know I talk with my hands too much sometimes, but uh, even even if you think of it as a, in that way of like there's God and then it goes outward to Israel and then outward to the nations, that's exactly what a vineyard does. It starts with a vine and all the branches go out from there. And if if you know if you're around vines at all they will take over everything if you let them go and so uh, all throughout the the old testament we see this this used it's in jeremiah 2 it's well it's in jeremiah ezekiel isaiah hosea and psalms we see it all over the place that a vineyard or vine is is meant to represent israel and the and how god wants to make them fruitful for the blessings of the entire world so God's vineyard are his people and the fruit that they produced are that they are supposed to produce are supposed to take care of all the people. Um, not only like nourishment in a literal physical way, but in a, but in a spiritual way. So when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, that would have conjured up this idea of, of, of Israel is God's vineyard. The problem is that um, there's almost... I think there's one time that I came across where the reference to the vineyard is a positive thing. Almost every time God talks about Israel as a vineyard, he talks about their shortcomings and their fruitlessness as a people. And the, if, if the goal was to love God and God would love them, and from that relationship they would bless the nations, uh, none of those things were happening, basically. Israel, they were idolatrous. They would, um, they would, they would worship other idols. They would uh, break every commandment that God gave them. They were uh, up, up and down. Sometimes they were faithful. A lot of times they were faithless. They would have great kings. They would have terrible kings. There's just this history where Israel was just just a nightmare a lot of the time. And 
And the problem is God's like, you are my vineyard and you are producing zero fruit. And that's a problem. And then, so all throughout the Old Testament, every time he talks about the vineyard, he, it has this idea of judgment. And so if you think about, think about the disciples who are, who are sitting there and they're, and they're listening to Jesus and he brings up a vineyard, what that would bring to them is essentially the cycle of failure that has been their entire lineage, going back all the way back to like coming out of Egypt from all the way to this point. That they were that they were always falling short of the glory of God. They were always uh, in 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 this cycle to where nothing like they never could produce the fruit that they were supposed to, or sometimes that they even wanted to. All of their efforts, everything that they were trying, um, they as a nation were just constantly coming up short. And so here's Jesus, uh, who is who comes to them, and uh, he's essentially saying um, do you know why you've been failing like he would have brought up the vineyard idea and they probably would have hung their heads a little bit so do you know why you're failing though it's because you you've been trying to be your own vine the whole time God set it up through Abraham um, if you go, even go back to the Garden of Eden the whole design was that it would be a God oriented existence that we as his image bearers would be oriented toward him, that we would live in relationship with him. And from Genesis 3 forward, uh, it's always been oriented toward ourselves. And so he creates this nation uh, for them to be the exception. That's why they would bless the nations, is that this nation lives differently. This nation functions differently. This nation has a God, has a relationship with their God, and he leads them. And from that blessing, the earth will be blessed. That was the design, but yet they kept doing the same things that Adam and Eve did. They kept turning to themselves and their own self-reliance, and they kept thinking that they know better. And so the reason there was fruitlessness is because they were trying to be their own their own vine. Because that's what, in a vineyard, that's what the vine does. The vine is what digs down into the ground. It's like the, the, it's, it's the trunk of the tree. It goes down into their roots. And so they're trying to draw from their own sources of strength and ability and, and will, and they just they couldn't, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so in a sense, Jesus, by him mentioning a vine, it would have brought up some of those cycles of failure and shortcoming, which we can all you know, identify with. And yet he says, he, says, he doesn't just say, like, uh, I'm a vine, or, or even like, I'm the vine. He says, I'm the true vine. When he says, I am the true vine, that language is taking them all the way back to, to the promise of, of Abraham. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm here to do what Israel could not do. Israel could not be faithful. I'm here to be faithful. Israel could not save itself. I'm here to save you. Israel could not bring redemption. Israel could not bring restoration. Israel could not bless the nations. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to do all the things that Israel could not do, because I am the true vine. You've been relying on your own abilities, your own uh, will, your own however you want to think of it. That all that self reliance, however you want to capture that, that's been your whole existence, and that's why you you feel like you're always coming up short in relation to the Lord. Um, I'm I'm here to be your vine. 
I'm here to take all those cycles of failure and shortcomings. I'm here to take all that away. I'm here to give you a, a new option, a, a new way to live. Um, I'm here to do what Israel could not do. As the true vine who is planted by the Father as the vine dresser, Jesus is, is the true Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's the standing there in their midst. Once again, he's trying to help them see, I'm, I'm the one that God himself has come to you to be everything to you and for you that you could not be for yourself. And so when you know, we've gone through these I am statements and said that he's the bread of life, that he's the light of the world, he's the, the door, he's the good shepherd, he's the resurrection, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's presenting himself as the true vine because um, he's basically saying, I'm here to establish a new vineyard. I'm here to establish a new covenant. I'm here to establish a new family. And I'm going to be the source this time. They will not be yourselves. I will, I will be the source. And today, on Easter Sunday, the resurrection just proves that this is true. It proves that he that he is the like he is the true vine, he is the true life, that all these I am statements, everything that's been building toward today, he's it verifies every single bit of it. That by Jesus saying, This is who I am, God raising him from the dead puts a seal of approval on that and verifies it for us and says, Yes, he, he wasn't just it wasn't just grandiose talk when he's saying, I'm the bread of life. He's come to be the bread of life. He's, he, is, he is the new bread from heaven that, that meets our needs. All of, all of those things that we have gone through, the resurrection just verifies that every Sunday through Lent that we've talked about it, all of those things are true. And a part of what we celebrate today in our resurrected Savior is this confirmation that Jesus was not lying to us the whole time, that he was not just up to you know, some sort of scheme. And we see with the disciples as they're as they're grieving and they're mourning, and they, one of them makes a statement. And he says, "We we had hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel." That's such a that that is that is a grieving statement right there. We had hoped he was the one, but we were wrong. And now today, we're, it's proven. No, you're you are you are right. Uh, he was right. You were wrong that you were wrong. And so trying to work through all this is, is such an intense thing. But he's, he's with them on Thursday before he goes through this. And probably him saying, I'm the true vine, it probably made no sense to them that night. In fact, if you read the, the end of 14, it, it reads as though this was spoken like maybe as they're journeying from the upper room to Gethsemane. And so it's possible that he, that as they're walking through a vineyard, he's like using that as an illustration to teach. And they're probably like, uh, you know, who, who knows what to think of it. But I wonder on that Sunday, as they began to get word that he was alive, and, then, and as they began to see him, if it all started to come together, and they started to say, he really is the good shepherd. He really is the light of the world. He really is the way. Because he's the truth, because he's the life, he really is the true vine, just like he said. He's come to do what we could not do for ourselves. And what a message that we all need every single day, that self-reliance will always will always leave us fruitless. It will always leave us coming up short. It will always expose our neediness. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to, be, you don't have to need anymore because I've come to be the true vine for you. 
Um, if you look at verse 5, um, he says, uh, he repeats the statement. This time he doesn't say true vine. He says, I'm the vine. He says, you are the branches. So he's building out this analogy. Um, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in this new vineyard, the goal is still to produce fruit. The goal is still for him to be our God, for us to be his people, and for the nations to be blessed. Like that's still that's still the mission. It's just now the mission is happening from a new from a new source. And so the the vine digs into the ground and roots down into the ground and pulls all of the water and the nutrients and the sap and all the things that the branches need in order to bear fruit. And so Jesus is, is taking on this role of, of not only providing re- redemption and resurrection and all these kinds of things, but that idea that he's our life, he continues to be the life source. And so he's using this agricultural metaphor to help them understand that, that we need him just like a, a, a branch needs its vine or the, the branch needs the trunk, um, that that relationship is an ongoing thing all the time. And that he is ready to provide for us everything that we need in order to bring about the fruitfulness that God has for us. Uh, there's a quote from Andrew Murray, and he he talks about God like like through this passage. Jesus is it's like it's the spirit's like whispering to us. Um, here's the quote: it "says I am the true vine. All that the vine can ever be to its branch, I will be to you." It's like this this incredible promise. Uh, everything that you need for life and for godliness, I will be that for you. In every way that a vine can support the branch and give it what it needs, I'm in. I'm ready to do that. And now this resurrected Savior is like, okay, we've taken care, taken care of all the bondage. We've taken care of all the, all the uh, enslavement to self-reliance, all those things. You're free from that. You can, you can choose to go back to it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you why I'm a better option over and over and over again. And so he's, he's building this analogy out. And you know, the fruitfulness of the vine is, is if you were to try to think like, so what exactly does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, a lot of us are probably familiar with how Paul summarizes it in Galatians 5. Let me read it to you. This is verse 22 and 23. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is, this is Paul's way of of summarizing. This, this is what the fruitfulness of God looks like. It's, he's not listing a bunch of different fruit it's not fruits with an s it's it's one fruit that's described all these different ways that this is what god's vineyard is supposed to produce or people people that live these kinds of lives whenever we are not connected to jesus as our true vine there there is a fruitfulness but it produces the other like the other extreme from some of these things like um, apart from him, he tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when we're apart from him, what is our, what are our lives producing? Well, instead of love, we produce apathy. It's not even hatred. It's just more just, I just don't even care about you. Um, apart from him, it's not love, it's apathy. Apart from him, it's not joy, it's fear. We, a lot of us walk in fear a lot of the time. 
Um, apart from him, instead of peace, we have chaos. Instead of patience, we are impetuous. I looked that one up. I was like, impetuous. Yeah. Um, instead of kindness, we end up being hateful to people. Um, instead of producing goodness, we produce evil. Instead of faithfulness, there's infidelity. Instead of gentleness, there's harshness. Instead of self-control, there's self-indulgence. Apart from him, these are the, this is what our lives will produce. That's what we saw, Genesis 3 forward. That's what we saw in the nation of, of, of Israel, in God's original vineyard. Jesus has come to, to plant a new root into the ground. And he's inviting his disciples and us to be connected to him as a true vine, to, to break away from the self-reliant, self-indulgent, self-centered uh, existence that that always is having to deal with those cycles of failure and coming up short. And he's saying, yeah, because that's not how you were created to live. I didn't make you to live that way. I made you to live this way. I made you to be a person who who is described as love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I, I have made you to be that kind of person. You can't do that with a self-reliant vine. You need the true vine. And I've come to make that possible for you. I've come to invite you into that. And by us saying yes and becoming a part of that vine and that fruitfulness begins to be produced in our lives, what it does is other, like the nations are supposed to see that and they're, and they're supposed to look at their own, their own vineyard, so to speak, and be like, I, I know the fruitfulness of the world I live in, but I, there's something different about those people. There's something different about that person. There's something different about that bundle of branches and what their lives look like, and I want to know. I want to know more. And it's supposed to be the the kind of life that's always saying, "Hey, there's there's always more room on the vine for a branch to be grafted in and to be connected." And so Jesus has come to do what Israel could not do, and to fulfill all of that. And the resurrected Savior now looks at us and says, "I'll be your true vine." I'll be for you everything that a vine can be. Uh, apart from me, your your life is a disaster. But but from me, your life can look like this. Your life can look like it was supposed to look when you were created. Sometimes we sometimes we look at our lives and we kind of wonder why why things look the way they do. And it really could be a, a vine issue like this. This imagery that Jesus uses might might be really helpful for some folks. Um, it might be a matter of just times where we're trying to act like we're trying to be our own true vine. We think that we're pretty awesome. We think we got things figured out, and and we we think that that we don't we don't really need him in all those ways. And things things start to fall apart, and we kind of wonder, man, what what went wrong? And perhaps. This imagery is something Jesus really wants us to grab onto in our in our own lives. Um, Israel was out there trying to produce their own fruit. Jesus doesn't really he doesn't really expect us to like produce our own fruit. It's, he doesn't look at you, and the pressure is not on you to be loving and to be joyful and to be full of peace and all that. Um, that's that. That's not what he expects us to be the producers of the fruit. We're supposed to just play our role in the, in the vineyard. 
We're just supposed to stay connected to Jesus and let let the life of him flow into our lives. And then the fruit that's produced is coming from him as a, as a source. And so um, maybe instead of kind of obsessing over the fruit of our lives and all those kinds of things, maybe we should be looking the other direction. Maybe our lives should be oriented toward the vine. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at. He, he uses the word uh, abiding. Look at, look at what he says. Look at verse 4. Um, look how many times he says abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide, that's, that word just means to, to remain connected. He's, your, your job as a branch is to remain connected to the vine. The, the fruitfulness comes through the natural life of the vine producing, like pushing life into the branch and producing that fruit. And so if we think of, like, of remaining connected and we read those verses again and swap that out with abide, he basically says, look at verse 4, Remain connected to me, and I remain connected to you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it remains connected to the vine, neither can you unless you are connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever is connected to me and I'm connected to him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is is inviting us into, into this relationship where that Zoe life, that that divine uncreated eternal life of God is flowing into our lives and to stay connected to him. That's, that's his own terminology. And so what he is calling us to is, is, is to, to walk away from those self-reliance cycles of coming up short and all those kind of things, connect to the true vine and stay connected to the true vine. That's not only in, in, in the moment of salvation. It's, this is how we live our lives every day. And so the question becomes, well, what, like, how do I stay connected to Jesus? And the, the, the way that I answer that question pastorally a lot of times is like, well, first of all, what, what works for you? you know? like what, what helps you stay connected to the life source of Jesus? Because uh, we're, we all have different personalities and, and some of those things will change differently for different people. Um, and so a lot of times it, I, that's where I'll start. I'll say, well, let's just talk about where, when do you feel the most connected to the Lord? And we'll kind of go from there. But a couple of the things that are, that are definite, it's like these are definite abide, like ways to abide um, based on the scripture. One is the Bible itself. That the Bible is 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 a it's a living, breathing uh, energy source of a document that that the Spirit infuses that to us. And so, when you're reading the very words of God, there's a connection that is happening there. Um, that is a that is a way that we abide. We abide in prayer. That that dialogue between us between us and the Lord. There are all the kinds of spiritual disciplines and practices that are modeled by by Jesus. Uh, meaningful relationships in community. You know, there are times when you, when you're not when you're like being real surfacey with, with other Christians, but when you when you go a little bit deeper and you come away and you're kind of energized. That's because that that vine life has been been flowing through you both. Um, and even even when, when we're singing, 
Uh, there's all throughout the scriptures, the people of God, they sing, they sing, they sing. Even even they don't feel like it, they sing. And there's something that's, there's a connectedness that's there. Those are all definitely ways that we can abide and remain connected to Jesus. Um, others that kind of vary. Some people, music in general is a really good connection point for them. Some folks, are they can walk outside and they feel closer to the Lord. Like As soon as that like oxygen-rich environment hits you, you just feel connected to him. Um, you got to find out what works for you and and trust Jesus in those things that he has guaranteed that that will like fulfill us in those ways um, but let me let me just kind of like pull it all together in this one way um, every christian every christian wants to wants to to do exactly what God wants us to do because when Christ in you is the hope of glory there there's that part of you that like you want to you want to love him with all your heart. You want to honor him with your whole life. You want to be everything that he, that Jesus died for you to become. Like you, we want it. For some reason, the the kind of the narrative in a lot of Western Christianity is is kind of that that industrial revolution kind of mindset of like, all right, I got I got to get to work. You know, I got I got to do the work so I can produce the fruit. So I can so I can can bring a, an offering to God that he's pleased with. You know, we, we kind of have that approach to things when we read the scriptures and uh, not just this passage, but you read the, the whole thing. It, it isn't really God saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm expecting you to just work really hard and get it done. He's, he's painting a picture here of saying, we just, you just need to be connected. You need to be connected to me. My life needs to flow into your life, and I'll form you and shape you. And so the idea, um, the idea is not so much that we're trying to live for him, it's that we're trying to live, we're trying to live from him. And that's a subtle shift in some ways, but it's massive in other ways. If I'm just out there, and I'm, I'm just trying to do all these great things for him, but I'm not living from him as my life source, then I'm, I'm, I'm finding my life source somewhere else, and I'm coming up short. So instead of, of looking at the fruitful end of the branch and figuring out what I need to do there, we need to orient ourselves back toward the vine and look at him and say, you're my true vine. You're my resurrected vine. You are, you are the, the way, the truth, the life. You are all these things to me. That, that, that becomes the focus. And when that becomes the focus and his life begins to flow through us, then the fruitfulness that that he created us for begins like we begin to walk in it and a vineyard is a whole bunch of branches and so if the church is a bunch of branches together and everyone's oriented toward the vine and his life is flowing into all of us and there becomes a fruitfulness and people come and they say i i need to be tapped into the same vine that you are and jesus grafts more people in and the vineyard grows and all the nations of the earth are blessed we go all the way back to abraham we go all the way back to that promise. Jesus is the fulfillment, and we are part of the fruitfulness that he promised would happen, and now he's bringing it to life. All of it because Jesus died, and God raised him from the dead. And so today is, is just such an such a appropriate day for us to think of this fruitfulness and of this life that he brings to us in this way. So the bottom line is really going to come down to, uh, am I trying to be my own vine or am I, or am I living from Jesus as my true vine? It's a great question to ask ourselves. 
It's a great question to talk about with, with your friends, talk about with your kids, uh, try to explain that to them. Take, them. take them outside, find a plant somewhere, and walk it, walk it through with them. But Jesus, he didn't bring anything to the table that was casual, like just kind of haphazard or whatever. Such strategy there. So much in these verses. But I hope this has been been something that's given us like a, a an orientation toward Jesus that that goes uh, it, it yes it begins with the resurrection and, and all those things but it carries into our lives this this absolutely matters every day of my life and every day of your life um, everything that we're trying to do as as a people as God's new vineyard it all comes down to who our true vine is so um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to we're going to sing a little bit more as we as we process through some of this. Um, just to think about how Jesus came to do what we could not do, and here He is providing everything that we need. It's amazing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your um, your strategy is just incredible. All of these I am statements constantly pointing back to this, to the Old Testament, but really you're pointing to this story that you're writing. This return to the Garden of Eden where it was a, it was a God-oriented existence. There was no self-reliance. There was none of that kind of stuff. There was, it was you and your people in, in this world that you have created that would just be full of love and peace and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit that we see. And yes, we messed that up in our rebellion. And Jesus, in your kindness, you came to set everything right again. And so here on this Resurrection Sunday, we're reminded that as our true vine, you you are there to be everything we need you to be. You're there to do what Israel and humanity could not do on their own. You as God stepped into the story to set things right. We just reap the benefits of what you have done as you've shared the spoils of your victory with us. So we are grateful and I pray that this morning we are just stirred with with really just deep gratitude and affection for you what you have done. Our desire is to do great things for you, but you've trained us and you're teaching us that we got it starts with living from you. So we ask for your help as we do that. And as we sing to you a little bit more this morning, I pray that you're honored and that you hear our hearts and uh, that you are pleased with, uh, with your children all around the world this morning that are celebrating the fact that, uh, that you fulfilled have fulfilled every promise and that you are alive in this moment and every moment forever